The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Well, that was fun while it lasted. What, after people dump stocks and there's a huge flush? (laughs) A wild week on Wall Street. A thousand point Fed relief rally followed by the worst day of the year as investors fear inflation, slowing growth and a looming recession. Great. Hey, you look at the markets lately, you might be thinking eschatological terms of 5% plus in the NASDAQ in a day. That'll get your attention. And the stock's sell-off causing pains for Bitcoin. Crypto bull Michael Novogratz joins us. We are not going to get a soft landing. When inflation gets as high as it gets, you need to put the economy in a recession to stop inflation. Plus the latest on troubles at Peloton and Boeing. And Spotify's CEO makes a vote of confidence when the stock's been on a slide. I'm hoping with all this stuff, you'll be a winner if you're long enough. It's Friday, May 6th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And here we go, folks. It's Friday, and it's Friday after a heck of a Thursday, heck of a last week, in fact. Yesterday, the market gave back all of the gains from Wednesday's relief rally and then some. The Dow was actually down by 1,063 points. That's a decline of more than 3%. And it was the best performer of the major averages. The S&P was off by 3.5%, and the Nasdaq plunged by 5%. It was off its worst levels of the day, if you can believe that. It was still its worst day since June of 2020. So for the week so far, the Dow is virtually flat. The S&P is actually up by about a third of a percentage point. The Nasdaq is down only by just over a tenth of a percentage point. But this comes after several volatile sessions, and it comes after that huge flush we got last Friday. Everybody thought we were back from those levels. We are not. In fact, if you've been watching the NASDAQ, we are now looking for the NASDAQ being on track for its worst weekly losing streak since 2012, if you add up all the weekly losses that we've seen to date. All the questions that we had yesterday morning about Steve's 75 basis point question and and how it was being taken, All the questions are still relevant. They just kind of have different answers, I think, at this point. Now I think that people thought he was too dovish and that that it's going to get out of control. Initially, it was the punch bowl is good, let it stay. And and then I think people started thinking, wow, we're not going to address what we need to address. Powell managed to to disappoint both sides in terms of, yeah, rates are headed up, but, but... I don't know if it's disappointment as much as it's you realize that no matter which direction they take, there's going to be a policy mistake. Are they right, going well, to yeah. raise, address inflation so quickly that they cause their infla- the um, recession, or do they not address it enough and then inflation in turn causes a recession? I thought actually Leisman was actually right yesterday when he was sort of analyzing what was happening in this hour, literally at 6.02 yesterday, he said, I don't... He effectively, I don't want to speak for him, I thought he was saying the market doesn't really get it, which is that 
you know, just because he's not going 75 basis points, it's actually still going to be pretty bad. And that's the kind of, I thought, the narrative you heard most yesterday, which was there was all of a sudden this realization that this was actually happening. I don't understand why uh, there's a realization that it's happening because we knew it was happening, but that it somehow just sunk in in a way that, that seemed surprising. Did you know that you said huge flush? Yeah, it was. The markets got flushed out. I know, but, but it's you, just a lot of bad turn. What, yeah. after people dump stocks, then there's a huge flush? I mean, it just, the whole thing is, gets way too scatological, yeah, uh, doesn't it, it? It takes you that direction, but hey, you look at the markets lately, you might be thinking scatological terms. Um, uh, look, you, you have to wonder if there's some forced liquidation at this point, too, because when things start to, like a move of 5% plus in the NASDAQ in a day, that, that, that'll get your attention. That'll make you sit up. Yeah. And, uh, and by, the, by the way, the one thing that, hasn't, that still hasn't happened that still has them is all of these growth funds that have all of this private private stuff. They still haven't marked any of this yet. So if you, th- I don't know where point. you think we're going to settle out. But yeah. when that happens, well, and you know, who, who, that, Glenn Hutchins, that to me could take this whole situation a whole nother leg down. Yeah, was it Glenn Hutchins? It was somebody we talked to earlier this week who was just pointing out that. You know, the, the private marks for all of these, they always move behind, as, as you were just talking about with this, um, that that is going to that, that's not something that happens a day or two later. That's something that happens right. over a mo- matter of months later. Uh, by the way, we did hear from investor Lee Cooperman last night going back and forth with him just a little bit about what his thoughts on the market are right now. And we always talk to Lee, always interested in what he's thinking. He said the market is crazy, but the bottom line is we're likely to keep heading down at this point. He said he thinks either the Fed or oil will put us into recession at this point. He says recessions tend to happen every four to five years, so we're overdue for a recession at this point. Also said he remains a seller on strength at this point. So um, just a familiar voice, somebody we talk to pretty often. Those are his thoughts as of last night. The U.S. economy created 428,000 jobs in April, slightly more than was expected. And in a tight job market, the unemployment rate stayed steady at 3.6%. But the job growth coincides with the U.S. economy experiencing its worst growth since the pandemic began more than two years ago. Worker productivity also declined 7.5%. That is the biggest slowdown since 1947. Now, we got into all of this today on our Squawk Box Jobs panel with ADP, Chief Economist Neela Richardson, former White House advisor Austin Goolsbee, Sarah Malik of Nuveen, and Nada Essa, former Treasury official. Neela, so what do you think of that number? I think that this is a very solid report. I was pleased to see that we didn't get any kind of buildup in the number, but we still uh, saw a really robust jobs number. So the labor force participation, of course, is concerning, but the fact that jobs were able to be added at a steady clip could give the market a bit of a, a, a pause here on on being so uh, negative in the sentiment, especially when matched up with those really um, eye-opening productivity declines uh, that we saw this week. So all in all, I think this is a great report to uh, you know launch uh, the new uh, economic data with. Let's uh, let's move up to uh, to awesome. What uh, was the highlight of the report? Nothing happened in this report, I don't think, that is going to change the underlying fact. So in a way, it's the Goldilocks report, but it's Goldilocks in, a, in an awful situation. It's, it's not going to change. The Fed is still going to tighten. We're still up against this. Can we manage a soft landing? How do we balance out the fiscal drag versus the, the comeback in, in, in the durable goods demand? 
that big manufacturing number still makes me a little worried that we're going off of high consumer spending on physical goods, which we know is going to come to an end when people start shifting back to services. Okay, Sarah, what do you think? We like the wage inflation number, but we need to get that labor force participation number up. I think this lowers the uh, stagflation camp crew, though, because it's a strong economy. But we are going into CPI next week. And the real question is going to be, has inflation peaked? What, what do you make of this, Netta? What, what, what's so most important? I think, so uh, I do agree that the, this is a good report, but I, I am concerned about the decline in the participation rate. I mean, we shouldn't read too much into one month's report. But this is part of the reason we've been seeing uh, pressures on wages. And so if workers are dropping out, again, I think the, the pressure on wages could continue. Um, and, and again, the question is, where is the Fed going to end up? I'm, I'm a bit skeptical that the Fed is going to be able to get us to a soft landing and, and not cause a recession, given where we are with the, um, with weight, with the inflation and unemployment. So I think there are some signs there um, of concern. It's maybe the quiet before the storm. Peloton is now exploring the sale of a sizable minority stake in an effort to shore up its business. That's according to a, a report in the Wall Street Journal this morning that says it's targeting PE firms and industry players who could take a stake of around 15 to 20 percent. The company's market value has fallen from a high of about $50 billion early last year to about $5.5 billion this week. And when I talked to Barry McCarthy, the new CEO, probably what now, about six Six weeks ago, when he first got that job, he said that they may need to raise more capital. They may have to go out and do that. They're obviously trying to change the business model. We've talked about this lowering the price of the actual treadmills and the uh, uh, and the cycles and whatnot, um, and effectively trying to amortize that over a longer and higher subscription price. So we will see. Uh, but this morning, that stock off uh, about one and a half percent. Joe, yeah, you got the treadmill. You got the treadmill, right? The padded. I am a, a proud treadmill owner. The treadmill you, plus, the one they don't, the one they don't sell or think is uh, as safe as it should be. But they've they've improved it through software. So it, it, there are flat. You can see flat ones, and then you've seen the woodways, right? They're, they've got like that's what this a, is like. It is. They're on a belt. The, yep. I think it's worth the money, Andrew. I think it's worth the money for the woodway. I look at it. It's like what? It like costs three times as much. But I think because. That's what I'm using to have my, and I'm running a lot, and my knees are questionable, but they haven't gotten worse. That's all. It's better for the knees. Talk about Boeing, which I just checked, um, under 90 billion now. So, well, a lot of things. I, I, I would have said this company is now worth more, but everything, you know, probably all the companies you would have said are now worth more than Boeing are now not worth more than Boeing either. But Boeing uh, is moving its headquarters. Remember, they just moved from Seattle to Chicago. Like 12 years ago? Yeah. 15? <laughs> <laughs> now they're going to move from Chicago to Arlington, Virginia. We all should move closer to Washington, really. I mean, if you want to get near the giant, I don't know what you'd, you know, I'm not going to call it that. But the move brings the aerospace giant's uh, leadership geographically closer to regulators and to D.C., Pentagon officials, lawmakers. Uh, it's a win, though, for Governor Glenn Youngkin, who's been courting uh, the plane maker and other business moves to Virginia, which wins our best state to do business every year, uh, also because of the close proximity to the giant um, gravy train that comes out of D.C. Hmm. 
where all money is spent so effectively. I need the sarcasm bug for over you right now. Commentary, I think. Commentary. Sarcastic commentary bug, maybe. How do we know? Because his mouth is moving. Exactly. Next on Squawk Pod, crypto's crash in the market swoon. Galaxy Digital founder and billionaire Mike Novogratz on Bitcoin sell-off and what's ahead. What's different than 08, different than 01, different than the COVID crises is the cavalry isn't here, right? There is no giant injection of liquidity to create the V. We are going to go down and then we're going to grind until there's a new story that shows up and then take back off again. You'll hear all that and Novo's notifications. Um, but I do think there's more pain to come. Yep, we're all still multitasking right after this. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Extra, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Up and Becky, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. It's pretty dark out there today. A lot of rain. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Bitcoin getting slammed in the sell-off, suffering its worst drop since January, according to Coindesk. Total market value now below $700 billion. Cryptocurrencies this morning. Take a look. Bitcoin now at $35,824, cracking the $36,000 mark. Joining us right now is Michael Novogratz, Galaxy Digital founder and CEO. Michael, what do you think is really happening here? Let's talk about just the fundamentals and uh, to the extent they're fundamentals, but just the, even, even the way you think this, this market is moving, where, where are the fault lines at this point? Yeah, listen, we, we are not going to get a soft landing. Um, when inflation gets as high as it gets, you need to put the economy in a recession to, to stop inflation. Right? You've got inflation expectations that have come a bit unhinged. I was saying recently, until I can look my employees in the eye and saying, you're lucky to have a job, uh, instead of saying, would you like salted popcorn or buttered popcorn on the three days you guys come into work? Um, right? The leverage has all been with the employees as of the last few years, um, everywhere, not just in the high-end jobs like Wall Street and the crypto business, but all the way through the, uh, the spectrum. Um, until that shifts, until we see layoffs, until we see not 11 million people looking for jobs, you're not going to see inflation come down. And so we're going to go through a painful stagflation process. We're in it. What you're seeing now is big liquidation. Who knows how, you know, markets always are ahead of the economy. And so you, you look at like the ARC fund or you look at some of the big hedge funds that are down. That often leads to liquidation. The market senses blood and goes for those positions. And so bear markets are hard to trade. You're going to see vicious bear market rallies. But, you know, the Nasdaq sell-off isn't over. 
as long as the NASDAQ and other risk assets are selling off, crypto won't trade spectacularly well. Uh, the bright note for crypto is that I've just been on a three-week conference trip where you're speaking at conferences and meeting people is it's amazing how much institutional capital is starting to line up to come into the place. BlackRock, Blackstone, Citadel, Apollo, all major building major crypto efforts. And so it's completely intuitive to me that the there's a backstop somewhere in crypto. Um, I said early in the year, I thought Bitcoin would be 30,000, 50,000. Uh, lots of macro headwinds and lots of adoption. I think that's still the range. We're, we're edging towards the lower end of the range. Um, and, and I think that's just the setup. It's an unfortunately a painful one for most investors, right? When there's inflation, nobody makes money. Let, let's just get uh, 30,000 feet. Put your macro trader hat on again for a second, though, which is to say, and I'm sure you're getting calls like this even in the last 24 hours. You know, what do I do? What's happening here? Uh, if you're an investor who, let's say, cares about where the market may be, call it two or three years from now, but not necessarily in the next 12 months. Let's say 12 months, you don't need the cash, but you may need the cash in, in three years from now, four years from now. Do you look at this and say, this is going to be one of the great buying opportunities of all time? Or do you say, hold on to that cash because the buying opportunity hasn't even shown itself yet? I think you got to pick your, I think you got to scale in because I think we're in the middle of creating that buying opportunity and you've got to pick your asset class. Like crypto has been very correlated to the NASDAQ. Uh, that correlation will over time break down. It's hard, you've already seen the beta of it break down, i.e. NASDAQ falls 3%, crypto doesn't fall nine like it would have last year, right? So the beta has gotten closer to one than it was three. Um, but I do think there's more pain to come. Within the next few weeks, we, we could be at 12,000, then it'll bounce. But maybe the final destination is something like 10,500. And what's different than 08, different than 01, different than uh, the, the COVID crises is the cavalry isn't here, right? There is no giant injection of liquidity to create the V. We are going to go down and then we're going to grind until there's a new story that shows up and then take back off again. And so it's not going to be nearly as pleasant to, to plunge it and buy the low. Right. If you did that after COVID, you look like a hero eight weeks later. There's, there's not a lot of hero trades out there. And when you say grind, is this to you a, a Japanese grind? Meaning, no, do I don't think so. Listen, the American economy has more vitality, more innovation than any economy in the history of the planet. And, you know, we continue to drive the global economy. If I look at the amount of intellectual capital that's showing up in the crypto world every day, it's awe inspiring. And so I've got no fear over our longer or medium term hold. I do have a fear in how much liquidity drove prices. And so what happens after the big collapse is you get up and down years and they're not small years. You might have up 20 percent, down 15 percent. But we all got used to this amazing ride, which was fueled by cheap money. And that story is over. What holds Bitcoin at thirty thousand. If that's if is that that's your that's your sort of final fault line before things get much more complicated. Yeah. Yes. I, I, listen. I I just see buyers everywhere I go. People are getting structured to buy. Right. Uh, I mentioned the four big. You know. I mean, those are the bedrock firms, or four of the bedrock firms of our financial services business. Right. And when they're making major efforts, which weren't happening eighteen months ago. Right. It just tells me clients are coming in and, I, and we see it with institutions. We see it with sovereign wealth funds. 
Um, and so Bitcoin itself provides a, a really unique asset and people have bought into that story. And then the blockchain or Web3, like that's happening. It's not like a story. It's, it's, it's a reality. And so if it's NFTs or if it's decentralized finance, all of those systems are being built on every day and I'm just seeing adoption. And so I actually feel great on a medium term basis about our business, our industry. I, I've been saying it nonstop. It's going to be a rough year. Hey, Mike, what, what, what was your thought? I don't know. I'm sure you saw some of the clips, if not the whole thing. Warren Buffett over the weekend and maybe not a new comment about it. But, you know, he thinks Bitcoin is going to zero. If you told me you owned all of the Bitcoin in the world and you offered it to me for twenty five dollars, I wouldn't take it because what would I do with it? I have to sell it back to you one way or another. I mean, maybe I'm the same people, but it isn't going to do anything. I think you might say, look, these financial firms are all getting into this space, but they also got into SPACs and all sorts of other uh, f- funk- funky, uh, funky approaches to things that a lot of them didn't even believe in to begin with. They just thought there was money to be made there. You know, I, I, I'll take Stan Druckenmiller's sharp ratio over Warren Buffett's any day. Um, listen, you know, for every skeptic, I can give you six to 10 spectacular investors that believe in, in, in Bitcoin. Um, you know, Pete Brigger, who one run, one run, runs one of the best credit funds in history. Uh, so from credit guys to macro guys, there are 100 million people around the world that have bought into Bitcoin as a store of value. And so I kind of think the debate ended a while ago, uh, right? Abby Johnson at Fidelity, Jeff Yoss and Susquehanna. There are people that all buy into Bitcoin. And so, yes, you know, Charlie Munger, who's, you know, reaching the tail end of his investing career, has, hasn't gotten it yet. But I think the preponderance of evidence is on people that do get it. And it's, as you go younger and younger, it's not even a debate. How much of, of this market, of the, the crypto market this is, do you believe is leveraged um, and that that leverage was used to buy other either other crypto or or Nasdaq stocks effectively? Yeah, listen, there's there was plenty of leverage in the system. Most of the Asian exchanges uh, were built on leverage. A lot of that leverage was retail, though. Right. And so it's a little different than what we're seeing uh, in the equity world, where a lot of the money has been institutional. Uh, crypto institutional money is really only of the last, you know, 18 months. Uh, but there is leverage in the system. And what you're seeing is Bitcoin and Ethereum outperforming all the other coins right now, right? People go to the safety. And so some of those other ecosystems really got blown up on leverage. And that, that's already, you know, those are down 60, 70, 80% already. Mike, we want to thank you. We very much appreciate your perspective on all of this, as always, my Good friend. Stuff. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the CEO of Spotify putting his money where his mouth is and making a big investment. The insider buying and selling is always better than the stock buybacks. With the stock buybacks, they're playing with monopoly money. More after this. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Welcome back to Squawk. Uh, some other news beyond what's happening in the markets right now. Spotify CEO Daniel Ek tweeting a message announcing that he's going to be investing $50 million in the music streaming company, saying, quote, I've always been vocal about my strong belief in Spotify and what we are building. So I'm putting that belief into action this week by investing $50 million in 
spot using the, uh, the stock ticker there. I believe our best days are ahead, X said in that uh, tweet. Now, the announcement coming at a time when, of course, tech companies are out of favor with Wall Street. Spotify shares down 55% over the past year. Um, and this goes to the question, are these companies on sale, guys? And, uh, and Daniel Luck seems to be suggesting so. I don't know if his investment unto itself is going to turn things around just given the macro factors uh, that seem no, to be pulling wonder, out all of these stocks. Look, when insiders start buying, you wonder what do they know that we don't? They're not always right, but you know, it's it, it's good to follow the insider selling and buying on those things. Um, yep. At least he's got some confidence there. And if you want to invest alongside the CEO, that gives you a little bit of a better idea. And he's a long-term holder, think. so if yeah. you if you plan to hold the stock for a while, uh, it, it, I'm hoping with all this stuff you'll be a winner if you're if you're if you're long enough. I always feel like this is better. The insider buying and selling is always better than the stock buybacks because with the stock buybacks, they're playing with monopoly yes. money. It's how, you know, house money. When it's them putting up their own cash, you can maybe look at it with a little more conviction. Not that it, they're always 100%. right, but again, it's not monopoly money. That's it for Squawk Pod for this Friday and for the week. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 